today on Ag News Daily. Right where we're at now on board prices for corn represent almost their break-even costs or just a little bit above. So corn as of right now is still slightly profitable, even assuming the worst case scenario on some of the input costs. Good afternoon and welcome to a Market Monday episode of the Ag News Daily Podcast. You should know by now that this is Ashton Carr. And of course, today I am joined by Delaney Howell, who was coming live from a Walmart parking lot. Yes, Ashton, I am sitting in a Walmart parking lot today in Platteville, Wisconsin, but I am heading to Fond du Lac, Wisconsin for a speech for the Country Visions Co-op. But before we get into any more chit-chat, I wanted to remind folks that today's podcast is brought to you by DPH Biologicals. To unharness your soil's fertility to maximize yield, visit dphbio.com. And folks, if you didn't listen to last week's Tech Tuesday episode, we chatted with DPH Biologicals. Maybe some of you know them formerly as Douglas Plant Health. They just went through a little bit of a name change, a little bit of a rebranding campaign, and we were excited to have them on the podcast last week and excited to have them as sponsors this week. I always love to hear the names of different states. I mean, we sure have some funky ones here in Texas, especially in the panhandle, but I'm going to need you to say that one more time where you're headed. Well, Ashton, it's not a state. It's a city. It's Fond du Lac. Wisconsin. Did I really say state? Yeah, but that's okay. We (laughs) forgive you. It's a Monday. I meant to say city, but you know that my geography skills are below par, subpar. So I'm not really surprised that I said that. Yeah, well, that's okay. Yeah. So Fond du Lac, Wisconsin, home of the Packers, home of beer, home of cheese, And yeah, that's where I'm heading today. So I apologize. There is a very obnoxious cart man pushing around carts. So if you hear any beeping, that is why there is an obnoxious Walmart cart man pushing his carts to the parking lot. Well, Delaney, I'll try not to keep you on too long here, but I do have a good bit of news to talk about this Monday afternoon. And the first being that we did see that workers at Cargill's beef processing plant in Alberta voted in favor of the company's latest contract offer on Saturday, successfully averting a strike. So these workers voted 71% to accept Cargill's offer. And according to... The reports that I've been seeing, this is the best food processing contract in Canada, of course, according to the United Food and Commercial Workers Union. So hopefully some good news there and definitely some good news since we won't be seeing a strike and any other issues stemming from a potential strike coming from there. Well, Ashton, another issue that we've been watching closely has been what's going on with South America more specifically. Brazilian beef and their recent cases of mad cow disease. Well, we've seen lawmakers in both parties calling on the Biden administration to immediately halt all Brazilian beef from entering the U.S. Because, of course, we saw that there have been two different instances of mad cow disease, and they waited a long time to share these cases with the world. But Secretary Vilsack said that, quote, at this point in time, there isn't a scientific reason or basis to order the suspension. So it seems the administration is dragging their feet and we will not see any sort of halt on those shipments as of yet. But there are a lot of senators, including including Senator Tester um, and quite a few others from the Midwest and 
cattle producing states that are pushing very hard and say that they're going to keep aggressively pushing the USDA to act on some sort of bill. And he's going to keep advocating for a specific bill he introduced that would trigger the suspension. But so far, nothing has been done to stop any sort of Brazilian beef from being imported into the U.S. shores. Well, Delaney, picking things back up here, talking about the USDA, as we saw Ag Secretary Vilsack say that the USDA is investing more than $600 million in nearly 800 climate-smart, resilient infrastructure projects that is spanning across all 50 states and Puerto Rico. So it seems that this infrastructure conversation is not going to be one that we stop talking about anytime soon. $3 million of that initial $600 million is going to nine states to help transportation, fueling, and biodiesel distribution facilities offer higher ethanol and biodiesel blends. Vilsack also says the funds will help those facilities share the costs of installing fuel pumps, equipment, and infrastructure. Vilsack added that rural America is on the front lines of climate change and that these programs will create good paying jobs and save people money on their energy costs. Well, actually, before I get to my next piece of news here, I wanted to also remind folks, once again, I mentioned at the top of the hour, we are sponsored today by DPH Biologicals. Be sure to check out last week's Tech Tuesday episode with Mick Messman, president and CEO of DPH Biologicals, where Mick talks about the company's new biofertility program, TerraTrove. Refined across millions of acres, TerraTrove works in broad acre applications to improve soil structure with manufacturing plant nutrition. TerraTrove combines microbes, plant extracts, and algae to offer the most complete biofertility solution available. To unharness soil fertility and maximize yield, visit dphbio.com to learn more. We have another announcement, big announcement today that the UK government has announced British farmers will begin to be able to export their lamb to the US next month. And the UK government estimates that it'll be worth about 37 million pounds in the first five years of trade or about 49 million dollars. To give our listeners a little history, back in 1989, we banned British lamb products from coming into the U.S. marketplace because of a scrapey concern. And so far, you know, this deal to lift the ban was first announced back in September when Prime Minister Boris Johnson visited Biden at the White House. And it appears it is going into effect next month. So I don't know if you eat any lamb. I rarely eat it. I actually like a good lamb chop though. So no preference for me where it comes from, as long as it's disease free. Delaney, I can honestly say I have never had lamb, but I might have to after hearing uh, your words about a lamb chop. Well, I feel like a really good lamb chop is not going to replace a steak or a pork chop, but especially at like some higher end steakhouses or higher end restaurants, they do a really good job preparing lamb in a way that doesn't taste gamey or tough to me. Well, Delaney, you might just have to take me out to a nice steakhouse. I would, I would definitely do that. Yes. We see each other every six months, so it would be a celebratory dinner for sure. That's true. Very true, Ashton. Well, I'm going to get back on track here talking about fertilizer. We saw today that sanctions on some potash fertilizer imports are being temporarily lifted, which should help ease shortages. 
The U.S. Treasury Department Office of Foreign Assets Controls is providing a reprieve on sanctions on potash fertilizers imported to the U.S. from Belarus through April 2022. And we saw comments from National Corn Growers Association because them and other groups have expressed concern to the department that the sanctions were resulting in nationwide shortages. So it seems like this is a short-term solution for a long-term issue. And Delaney, it's timely that I read this piece of fertilizer news because, of course, today's episode is sponsored by DDH Biologicals. If you're looking for an alternative to starter fertilizer, DPH Biologicals offers a competitive alternative for broad acre crops without sacrificing yield. Refined across millions of acres, TerraTrove combines microbes, plant extracts, and algae to offer the most complete biofertility solution available. To unharness soil's fertility to maximize yield, visit dphbio.com to learn more. Well, actually, another long-term issue that we're continuing to watch has been Brazil's South American crop, more specifically in southern Brazil, where dryness does continue from that La Nina weather pattern, which has hit a 30-year dryness mark. As we head into December here, rainfall deficits have been continuing to grow in southern Brazil and portions of the growing regions in Argentina. And soil moisture is depleting quickly, according to folks down in Brazil, as December is forecasted to offer a little hope for substantial substantial rainfalls. And that is certainly weighing on the markets. We're going to get Dan Hussey's take on that here coming up in just a little while. But, you know, as we continue to talk markets every Monday, this has been an ongoing conversation that markets really are paying very close attention to at this point in time. So we'll get Dan's take on that here in just a moment, but thought I'd make our listeners aware of that as we head into the markets. Well, Delaney, speaking of talking markets, I'm all out of news for today, so I'm ready to get into them if you are. I certainly am as well, Ashton. I think I did not have any other really news to talk about today. So we'll talk markets here with Dan Hussey coming up in just a moment. But ahead of that time, let's look at where markets closed for today. We saw some mixed trade in grains today. Seems like they are trading past the announcement of the new uh, Omicron variant and just had some normal trade today for once. So the March contract closed down four cents, ending at 583 and a half. These corn up a quarter of a cent, closing at 552 and a half. January soybeans gave up five and three quarters cents on this Monday afternoon to close at 1261 and a half. The March down four and three quarters cents, ending the day at 1266 and a half. Wheat saw a little strength today as the March contract added two and a half cents, closing at 806 and a quarter. The Dece adding four cents, closing at 802 and three quarters. Livestock traded mixed today with cattle trading higher and lean hogs trading lower. February live cattle up 70 cents today, closing at 139.65. The April added 72 and a half cents, closing at a buck 42.87 and a half. January feeders today added a dollar twelve and a half, closing at one sixty five twenty five. The March up eighty five cents, closing at one sixty seven ninety five. In the lean hog bits, December lean hogs down a dollar ninety five, closing at seventy two oh five. The February down three dollars twenty seven and a half cents, closing at seventy eight twenty two and a half. And lastly, wrapping things up here with the class three dairy milk futures, January up 46 cents today, closing at 1923, the February up 31, closing at 1926. Ashton, without further ado, let's talk to Dan Hussey about markets for today.
Well, folks, as promised, we are chatting today with Dan Hussey of the Zayner Group there in Chicago. Dan, great to talk to you this Monday afternoon. Yeah, thanks, Delady. Thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure. Dan, I want to kind of get things started here, talking a little bit about the markets and their reaction to the latest variant. It seems like potentially the markets have calmed down from the Omicron variant. But every time a new strain like this is developed, should we expect the markets to react like this? I think that's a pretty fair assessment, given the history of, you know, first the Delta, now the Omicron uh, markets, whether it's the stock market, ag markets, everything seems to be getting a little spooked by the notion that the geopolitics behind it suggests lockdowns and other things to inhibit, you know, good economies are are, are the are the the game plan. Um, one thing I will add, and I'm not a you know, no doctor here, but it does seem that the, at least with the Omicron and like you alluded to, the markets are starting to fade that, um, that fear a little bit here. It seems to be that now that we've digested, it may not be as bad symptomatic wise as as one had originally thought. Uh, The market is certainly willing to now say, okay, um, maybe a new uh, narrative is beginning uh, about variants. Um, and that's something that I, you know, I think it behooves any of us to learn just a little bit more about. Yeah. And hopefully this week, you know, we don't get any fresh COVID news. You never really know for sure. But one thing the markets are paying attention to, at least to some extent this week, is the upcoming WASI report. Mm-hmm. Do you think we're going to see any surprises? Do you think it's just going to be a non-event? And what do you anticipate we do as far as the trade goes on Thursday? You know, I'm expecting really no changes on the balance sheets. Um, December is oftentimes a push. Uh, we wait for that January report where we get those final bean, uh, you know, numbers and and really uh, then start the the next cycle, which is you know into the planting season, and start arguing over over the bo- corn to bean ratio and deciding what acreage uh, might shift. Um, there is a, a you know a, a, an ace in the hole here, if you will, for all the markets, particularly for corn, which is the rising input costs uh, that we've seen. Uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if the USDA took a moment to make some comments regarding that um, in terms of maybe what we could expect in terms of uh, on-farm pricing. But again, that's not really what this uh, this report is about. And traditionally, December is usually a very quiet non-event. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned the acreage discussion of last week, I believe it was, you know, we saw economists at the University of Illinois saying that they could expect, I think it was like a two or 3% increase in corn acres, which did surprise me a little bit because of those increased inputs. What's your take on that? Do you really think we're going to see that much of a shift? You know, corn is still very profitable. And even at the rising cost of the inputs, the yield, you know, you can, we can we can expect on corn in a good year would far outpace those rising input costs. And that's the gamble that every farmer is going to be making a decision on uh, this next March. Um, you would think, right, it's cheaper to put beans in, less mm-hmm. risk. I don't have as much overhead. It's a no-brainer, um, a no-brainer decision to do so. Uh, but Corn charts as of late have been a lot more bullish than the beans have. Um, and that is very, I think, likely, you know, due to the um, pretty strong ethanol crush numbers we've seen. Uh, while corn demand in our last export number wasn't as high as, as we would have loved, um, we're still well close or well on our way and much closer to hitting those USDA export targets than we are with beans at this point, even though um, we know that that hand to mouth demand from China still seems to be there. 
had some flash sales this morning to unknown destinations, assuming you know that's China as well. But the chart of be- corn, technically speaking, we've already broken above some of our resistance levels. The market seems very content testing above 560, which was the medium or the the, the middle of the range that we had been holding for the last uh, you know nine to ten months. And six dollar corn seems like uh, a due test of that level is in is in uh, is in the works. So from that perspective and the shift we've seen in that corn to bean ratio, making corn uh, favoring corn, uh, you know, that ratio got as high as two point eight to two point nine favoring beans last year uh, in in that strong demand season we saw this time of year uh, and when beans were um, you know rallying above fourteen dollars, corn seemed to be lagging a bit. Now corns might have taken over on the chart. And I think that there's a, you know, not only an argument for buying acres here, but buying those input costs um, on corn, which is arguably keeping margins for corn um, at a respectable level. I was uh, going over some break-even cost analysis with a client earlier today. And in central Indiana, what we found around 200 bushels an acre, just assuming that they would hit that kind of average yield they've seen the last five years, um, right where we're at now on board prices for corn represent almost their break-even costs or just a little bit above. So corn as of right now is still slightly profitable, even assuming mm-hmm. the worst case scenario on some of the input costs, which interestingly enough, I have fa- yet to find a supplier who's willing to give a really hard quote and commit to a price at this time too, which you Reading into that a little bit might suggest that even the suppliers are unwilling to take the risk of buying their, you know, their needs for next spring uh, at these levels. Yeah, absolutely. I've heard that as well. And Dan, I just want to clarify one point there. You mentioned that we might uh, have some reason here to touch back on six dollars. Were you talking new crop or uh, old crop? I was referring to our fir- front month uh, March contract, okay. the old crop contract at this okay. time. Perfect. Just wanted to make sure we got that clarified for our listeners, but. <laughs> As we uh, transition here, let's talk a little bit more about soybeans. I want to talk specifically, what was the trade going off of today to see a little bit of weakness? Yeah, I, you know, outside of it just being a Monday, um, markets seemed pretty content um, to try to, oh, put in a period of consolidation um, and retrace a little bit of the trend we began to start the month of December. Um, I see today's downside. Um, certainly, we could make an argument for any type of COVID news could be a catalyst for fear in any market. Um, but I think today's price action was more due to maybe some outside factors um, and uh, and really just a pullback against the three, four days of positive price action we've seen to start the month of December off coming out of last week. And if we have listeners that are kicking themselves because they didn't buy back into last week's little trade to the downside, do you think they're going to get another opportunity to buy back into this market or is it worth it at this point? Um, I think it is. I was making the recommendations today. We were looking at some dollar wide call spreads for around the 20 cent cost in uh, soy. It means uh, similarly in corn, we are looking at 60 cent wide spreads. This is all through March. Uh, I'm not going too far out into new crop yet, although um, to touch on the old crop or the new crop comment from before uh, or clarification we did, I do see the possibility for new crop corn getting to $6. Most of our spreads are trading fairly close at this time with a um, with only about a 20 cent differential there. 
Um, I do believe this rally we're seeing a new crop will pull up those old crop prices. Um, and uh, the downside to go back to beans for a, a hot second um, and touch on the ne- the technical nature of the charts right now, soybeans are hitting their trend line resistance at this time for the multi-month sideways range that we've been in. Um, the 1275 to 1280 area is a formidable resistance level uh, due to those technicals. And I think we saw some profit taking on the first touch of that level. Now, if the market can stabilize, remain above 1220, 1240, certainly not test $12 and below again, I think we're you know due for uh, a test in our range higher and a break of that trend line higher on soybeans. Corn, on the other hand, has already gone above a very similar level that was around 560 um, as we started to break above in that March contract earlier this month and actually towards the end of November, which is a big reason why the technical chart on corn seems to be finding uh, you know, support and breaking through resistance a little bit more than the beans do at this time. Then I want to transition here to talking Chicago wheat. You know, we've mm-hmm. certainly pulled back from that 855 high or thereabouts where we were earlier in the month. Is that it? Is the top put in? Um, you know, that's the million dollar question with wheat <laughs> here. Uh, it, we're at such lofty levels. It's hard uh, not to try to look at locking in prices and wanting to be a seller um, because on a long enough time frame, wheat has never really hung out at these prices for too long. However, from a trend perspective, the pullback we saw off the 863 quarter highs in March, um, it, we found support now down around that $8 mark, a pretty psychological level, if you will. But it's also trend line support from the last uh, several weeks and from about mid-October. Today's price action uh, looks a lot like the market tried to uh, test below $8 again. And yet again today, closing at 807.5, it was unable to. Um, so wheat, I do think we have some more upside to go. The price rationing of U.S. wheat away from foreigners and export markets um, is a big catalyst for why the market or why we're pricing where we are. Um, in essence, that just means that we can't afford to sell our wheat in the export market um, for you know due to the tight stockpiles that we already are, are, are running into. Dan, I want to get your quick thoughts here on the live cattle market before we let you go. Are we starting to see some consolidation in February live cattle? Um, you know, the the pullback we had there to at you know five days ago uh, from that 141 figure, um, we 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 rallied up into I don't want to say uncharted territory, but these are new multi-year highs. We're starting to go above levels that if you look at the continuous contract, uh, we really haven't been above in in over five years. Um, I think the market really, like you said, needed to consolidate back to make sure that it wants to stay above that 138 area, which was the kind of the, the, the actual figure, if you will, that we broke above. And price action of the last couple of days consolidating above suggests that we might very well you know, want to resume that trend higher. But like you alluded to, we've been sideways for, for to start this month, uh, but are keeping an open gap uh, down around 138 that this the most recent bid really began from. Um, so yes, I do think that you know cattle haven't proven itself and, and proven the trend higher now uh, that might continue into the new year. We are in that period of consolidation, 
Um, but I would watch for a move back above 140 because that could be signaling for a resumption of that uptrend. Fantastic. And if so, if we just to tie that up here with the nice bow, if we hit that 140, you think there's more movement to the upside, Dan? That's correct. Fantastic. Well, Dan, if we have any listeners that want to pick your brains a little bit more on the markets, how can they find you? You can always find us over here at Zanerag at 312-277-0110. Fantastic, Dan. Well, we certainly appreciate you coming on today and chatting markets with us. We'll have you back on again real soon. Thanks a lot, Delaney. Take care. Thanks again there to Dan for coming on for our Market Monday episode today. Folks, if you want to tune into any of our past Market Monday episodes or keep in touch for our future ones, you can do so by visiting agnewsdaily.com. Be sure to follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as we keep in touch with our Market Monday interviewees as well there. And we're always having good conversations on social media, so be sure to be a part of them. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.